Welcome to the What the Flip podcast hosted by Jeremy. Don't let the name fool you. We talk about all things real estate investing in less than 30 minutes. Learn how I did fix and flip, buy and holds, apartment complexes and beyond all from this podcast. Stay tuned. Full disclaimer, I went crazy on this episode and missed a whole bunch of information. So listen all the way through because I circle back to some things that I missed, but I think you'll find a lot of great information in this episode. Hey everyone, and welcome to the What the Flip podcast. Uh, for those of you guys who don't know, I made it out the basement. I'm up in the living room now. Luckily, the kids aren't here, so I'm able to do it up in a, a little bit more natural light. But this is the relaunch. If you guys didn't notice, new intro, new intro music. I think it fits my personality a little bit more. If you didn't know, it's Buy Back the Block by Rick Ross. Uh, I love that song. It's like a, a real estate anthem, I would say. Uh, but this episode is all about how I purchased a property and got the bank to give me $1,000 in the end. Uh, and I own it without having any money in it. So I'm going to explain how I did that, what the process was, the ups and downs, all that good stuff. But uh, I just wanted to apologize. I got to get a little bit better at making regular broadcasts and podcasts, I should say. Uh, I struggle with that. I'm going to get better, I promise. But I do love those who have questioned where I'm at, what I'm doing, uh, the ones that give me feedback and tell me that they like what I'm doing. So they're sad that they didn't hear anything last week. So I will promise to work harder at getting episodes out more regularly, but um, I'm going to work on that. So this episode is literally all about how I purchased a property and got a bank to give me $1,000, which sounds absolutely crazy if you don't know these strategies. But I'm going to preface that with, please know that you have to have some money to get started in real estate. And before you turn this off and say, I don't have any money, I'm never going to have that kind of money, you will. And I'll explain why. If you find a good deal, there is somebody in your network of friends who is going to help you fund that deal. If you can go to that person and say, hey, if you give me $10,000, dollars $20,000 and I can get you a return on your investment of 10% or I can get you all your money back in six months or I can cut you in for a piece of this deal and you explain to them how the deal works, what their percentage is going to be, how much money they're going to get back, you're going to find somebody to fund that deal. If you can't find anybody to fund your deal or anybody to help you out on a deal, chances are you don't have a deal. Um, not everybody's going to believe in what you're doing, so don't let a no um, deter you from continuing to try to find somebody to help fund that deal. I'll explain to you why sometimes a no is a great thing and it happened in this situation, so I'll explain that as well. But I know a lot of people are going to say, well, after you listen to this whole episode, I needed money in order to get this done. This is unrealistic. You had money. You're able to do it. Honestly, I didn't have the money. I took a HELOC out. And for those of you guys who don't know what it is, a HELOC is a uh, home equity line of credit. Uh, lucky enough to live in Colorado that is an appreciating state. And so the property that I am in currently appreciated a significant amount over the last five years. And so I was able to pull a line of credit off of that HELOC. I literally used that line of credit to buy this property, finance the rehab, and then I'm pulling all that money back out and I'm getting some as well. So there's so many different ways you can go. You can go personal loan, line of credit, a friend. Uh, if you're on Facebook and you have 800 friends and you can honestly tell me that nobody in that friend group or 
anybody in your family or any friends that you've ever met in your life have any kind of money, then I'm going to call you a liar. What I'm going to say is I'm going to say that, yeah, that maybe the people that you hang around don't have money, but there's somebody out there who's looking for someone who's a hustler, who's going to get a deal done, uh, and who's going to do it for them so that they don't have to worry about doing it themselves. Um, you know, it's one of those things where the more you do real estate transactions or even just investments, the more you'll realize that there are people out there who are looking for people just like you to get involved in a deal. Um, you know, I have three or four people right now who are ready to get involved in a deal. I just don't have anything lined up. And so I never thought that I would be at that point where I'd want to bring anybody into a deal, but it's nice to know that you have that opportunity. And so, uh, you know, I've never went really looking for it. But, um, you know, as I do more deals and as I talk to more people about it, more people are asking me like, hey, when's the next deal? Hey, can I get in on this? I have this money sitting around or I'm going to sell this property and I want to take that money and do something that you're doing with it. So just let people know what you're trying to do or what you're doing or what you're looking at, what kind of returns those are. You'll eventually find somebody who's just as interested and has the money if you don't have the money. So that's my spiel on money. Uh, hopefully that helps at least point you in the right direction and, and keeps you from turning this episode off and saying, I can't do that because I don't have money because you can if you look hard enough. I, I promise you that. So this deal is called a Burr and it was kind of popularized or at least given a name by Brandon Turner on Bigger Pockets, but uh, it's Burr like as in Chile. So it's B-R-R-R, which stands for buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and then repeat if you want to throw in that extra R. Um, so I'm going to go through every single step of the buy, rent, rehab, refinance, or buy, rehab, <laughs> rent, refinance, uh, and not the repeat part because you can kind of get what that means. So the property that I'm talking about in question was a duplex that had been on the market for about 150 days. When I first saw it on the market, it was at listed at $39,000. And so it was a two-side so duplex, uh, one bed, one bath on each side. Um, it needed a lot of work. And I could tell just from the pictures that it needed a lot of work. And as all real estate agents know, it only had about two pictures on the inside. So I knew that uh, the inside needed some work as well. So I submitted an offer of $21,000 just to see if I could do it. And this was listed on the MLS. So out there for everybody to see, just nobody else was looking at it how I was looking at it. Uh, they came back and countered at, I want to say 38,000 cause they were listed at 39. And I said, you know what, we're never going to come to terms on what you want and what I want right now. So I'll wait. So I kept an eye on it. I saw that they lowered it to $35,000 about 60 days later. So I had my agent in Wichita put an offer in on it for, I want to say 27,000 and they came back at 32. And I think by the time negotiations were done, we were right around $30,000. And so the deal that I put together was $30,000 cash, and which again, came from my HELOC. So it's not like I had $30,000 that I put cash on this. Um, and I was going to close in two weeks without any objections. So that basically meant that, you know, I couldn't say that my loan wasn't going to come through. I couldn't say that I didn't like something I found on the inspection or anything like that. Uh, basically, I was going to close no matter what. And that's kind of why I put up the earnest money and expected to, to get the deal done. So after we closed on the property, uh, we knew that there were some things going on during the inspection. And so those things were some exterior work that needed to be done. We found some issues with some wood rot. 
Um, the major thing was uh, we had some structural issues. And so I nicknamed this duplex the structural duplex. Uh, and once you get to a certain point, you nickname every single property. And so uh, from here on out, I'll call it the structural duplex. But yeah, on this duplex, one side had been done. Uh, but apparently, there's a bunch of duplexes that are the exact same as this duplex. And a lot of them ran into structural issues. And so one side had been fixed. The other side hadn't. That bid came back at around $8,000 to do that structural repair. So I had that repair. I think maybe it was a little less, maybe seven. Uh, along with redoing the unit that was unoccupied. So there's one person living in one side uh, and he'd been there a long-term tenant for, uh, I want to say three or four years and he was paying uh, $350. And I'll talk about that a little bit more later, but uh, that side had been completed and the empty side needed the structural repair. So we had that, we had some electrical panel work that needed to be done. The bricks on the exterior because of the structural work on one side needed to be reset um, and then there is a awning on the back that was hanging down that just basically needed to come down. So um, the whole project basically was bid out for about $12,000. So um, as soon as we closed on the property, I think that Friday on Monday, they started demolition of the back patio to access the structural issues. So that was the first thing they knocked out is accessing all the structural stuff and getting that all completed. And then they moved to the inside of the unit, redid all of that, and then we moved out to the exterior. If this project was gonna be a flip, then you kinda wanna do that in reverse. You wanna do the exterior work first if you can. And the reason why is you wanna draw interest into the property, but um, that's another episode down the line. But just so you know, cause some people kinda think that may be backwards. Uh, on this, since we weren't going to flip it, uh, we saved all the exterior work for last. Um, so we got all the repairs done, bought the property. Now we're all in it for $42,000. And so if you remember, I have the HELOC, I don't have cash. I use the HELOC as a line of credit to pull money from to act as cash. So I'm all in it for $42,000 um, right now. So then the next part is rehab rent. So rent, as I was talking about, one side was rented already for a long-term tenant at about $350 a month and market rents in that area were four to 450 for one bed, one bath. Um, this is kind of a whole nother topic, but I've spoken to a few investors about this and it's about, I have a really good tenant. Do I need to raise the rent or when should I raise the rent or how should I raise the rent? Well, my thought process was at this point in time for me to carry that HELOC uh, cost me about $150. So, there's no point to kick out the tenant who is paying for me to carry the HELOC. Uh, and I was still making some money on it after everything was all said and done. So I just let the tenant stay. Um, it didn't matter to me, honestly, because I was like, man, as soon as I rent out the other side, we'll be in good shape. Um, and so maybe down the line, I'll, I'll increase his rents, you know, maybe $25 this year and $25 the next year to get it up to that 400 mark. But I'm not in a rush to really kind of alienate uh, a solid tenant. And so I'm not touching it too much at this point in time. Uh, so the other side completed should rent for four to 450. So right now we have it marketed at 450. Um, and then honestly, I think we'll probably end up at 425 in rent. So we'll have total rents of about 775 to um, uh, 800, depending on if I get that other side up at some point in time. 
so that's what we're looking at for total rents around 800, around 775. So um, we got buy, bought it for 30. We got the rehab. I put $12,000 into the rehab. And then we come up to the rent, which we talked about 350 on one side, 400, 425 on the other side, which is going to give us that 775 to 800, depending on if I raise the other guy's rent. Then we come up to the complicated part, which is the refinance. And so I, the reason I say this is a complicated part, because there's a lot of steps involved. It's not just buy, rent, rehab, refinance, repeat, all that stuff. It's doing the legwork beforehand. And what I mean by that is if you plan on trying to do this strategy, you need to have a bank lined up. And there's a couple questions that you need to add, ask a bank before you assume that they're going to be the ones to do this for you. So when you're trying to refinance a property, there's a couple questions that you want to ask your bank. The first question is going to be, what is the seasoning period? So a seasoning period is what some banks have in terms of refinancing. And basically it says that you just purchased this property. We're willing to give you a loan on it, but we want to see you hold it for six months or hold it for a year or whatever their seasoning period may be. Uh, a lot of those are just, they want to see the property stabilized. They want to see what your rents are going to be. It basically just gives them a window um, into the property as far as how it's going to operate once it's stable. And so a lot of banks have a seasoning period. So that's the first question you want to ask the bank. The next question is you want to ask, what loan to value are they going to give you? And so when I say loan to value, um, basically a bank can loan up to 75%, 80%, 85% loan to value. And what that means is if a property is $100,000, after your repairs, that a bank that will lend you 75% loan to value is going to give you a loan of $75,000. Uh, and the reason that's important is because you need to know what target price you're looking at in order to pull most or all of your money out. Um, and so for me, the bank that I looked at uh, was 75% loan to value. And so, or actually is 80% loan to value. And so I can get into those numbers here in a little bit, but uh, the last question you want to ask the bank for the refinance is, what are the terms? So with refinances, you don't always get the same terms as you would as if you just purchased the property and got a regular loan on it. So some may be a three-year or five-year arm, so adjustable rate mortgage, and I talked about that in a previous episode. Uh, some may be fixed rate, some may be a portfolio loan, or some may be sold off to Fannie or Freddie. Uh, really just depends. So you want to know what the amortization schedule is. So how long is the loan spread out over? Is it spread out over 20 years, 25 years, 30 years? Uh, some are 15 years, which makes the payments a lot larger, but condenses how quickly you pay it down. What is the actual interest rate? So a lot of refinances, the interest rate aren't quite as good as they would be um, if you just bought the property and got a regular loan on it. So what is the interest rate going to be? Uh, and then you want to know if it is a adjustable rate mortgage, you want to know how long the term is. So is the loan going to be for three years and then they'll call the note due and you have to reassess the property at that point. Is it going to be five years? Is it going to be seven years? Um, just make sure you know what your bank is offering as far as that loan is so you can kind of calculate your end results. So about my deal, my bank was 
going to do an adjustable rate mortgage at five years, uh, amortized over 25 years at a rate of, I should have wrote this down, at a rate of, I want to say 6%. So most of you out there may say, man, 6% is really high. Uh, 25 years or 20 years is really short term. Uh, five years is, you know, okay arm. I took all of that in consideration as I was doing this deal. So since I knew that they were going to give me 80% loan to value, I knew that my target price after repair value, so ARV, was going to be right around $55,000. So if I could hit $55,000 that I would be able to pull most of my money out, depending on what the closing costs were going to be. Uh, and they said just closing costs vary. So I kind of factored in about 1% for closing costs. Usually it's anywhere from 1% to 3% of the entire deal is what your closing costs are going to be. Um, so that includes, you know, whatever loan uh, document preparation fees or appraisal fees or whatever they might add to it. So you just want to be prepared for that. Uh, and it also kind of gives you a cushion for that they collect an escrow, some taxes and some insurance as well. So my bank was 80% loan to value. So I needed to hit 55,000 ARV uh, in order to clear most of my money back out. So, um, I talked to the bank after I finished. They wanted a list of everything that I did from start to finish. So um, they wanted to know, you know, the structural repairs and see pictures. They wanted to see the exterior. They wanted to look inside. They wanted to see what the rents were on the other side. Basically, they're just going to ask you everything that they possibly can about the property uh, to give a better idea of what all you did and, and why it increased the value. So I did that along with the help of my property manager, gave a list of all the repairs that were done. Um, and then we sent that over to the bank. The bank sent out a in-house appraiser who took a look at the property and then the surrounding properties. And the reason I had an idea that this property uh, was valuable is because I knew that there was one that was two doors down being sold by a wholesaler for $40,000 uh, and it needed work. And so I picked this one up for $30,000 um, and thought that I had a bit of cushion there. So honestly, when I picked up this property, I was more at the... Uh, $50,000 range. I was thinking more $47,50 uh, and thought that I would have a couple thousand dollars left in the deal, but I wasn't too worried about that. And I'll explain those numbers here in a second. But um, so the bank came back with their appraisal and said, Hey, we got the appraisal done. We're going to write you a check for $43,500. Um, gosh, I really said that wrong. $43,500. Uh, and so I paused for a second and then I emailed them back and I said, Hey, do you mean it's valued at 43.5 or you're going to write me a check for 43.5? Uh, and they wrote me back a few minutes later because my heart was pounding because I was like, Oh gosh, this really makes a huge difference. They said, No, we're going to cut you a check for 43.5. Uh, so then honestly, I was just jumping for joy because uh, this was my first burr. And, you know, while I do know the market and do know, uh, how to value, you know, property and what the after repair value should be. Uh, it really is in the hands of the appraiser and what the bank comes back. And so that kind of leads me into my last point is have multiple banks ready. And so you want to have two or three banks that can do this deal. So then that way, if one bank comes back low or if one bank backs out or something happens, you have another bank to fall back on. And, you know, luckily for me, 
the first bank that I used was ready to go, but I, I do have a couple backup banks, uh, and you want to establish relationships with them. So if you can do prior deals, or if you can put some money in the bank, or if you can show them that you're going to do more deals, whatever it takes to develop some kind of rapport with the bank, try and do it. I mean, I talk to my loan officer probably once a week, just asking questions or, or talking about stuff that we come across and you know, we're in on a few deals together with that bank. And so now it's at the point where, um, you know, if I email them, it's not weird or, you know, it doesn't feel weird to talk to them uh, and joke around with them because I've developed that report. And so that's a really huge way to kind of get yourself into a bank is, you know, develop rapport with people. Because when I moved into the Wichita market, uh, I had somebody who, I, I was going to use for Kansas City market and had some deals lined up there and then ended up doing some deals in Wichita and reached out to them to say, hey, can you do this deal? And originally they said, yes, we can do this deal. We'd love to do it. And then about two weeks into it, they said, oh, I'm sorry, we can't do this deal, but I know somebody who can do this deal for you. So, um, you know, that's kind of how this relationship started. But it all starts from developing a relationship with the bank and you know, talk to them, kind of figure out what they're looking for, figure out what their clientele is, you know, what they want. A lot of banks will generally come back at you and say, hey, can you open an account? We'd really love if you put some money into an account uh, and then you can do some more business with them. And so if you say you're going to do that and you guys do business together, do that. You need to do that. And so um, that's kind of where I was, you know, as far as that relationship goes. So they Cut me the check for 43. I actually just sent the loan docs off today, signed those. So after all expenses, I was all in for $42,000. In order to pay that all back, they are cutting me a check for $43,500. So after all is said and done, I will have $1,500 that I got paid to do this deal. And what makes this just absolutely mind-blowing is when you look at cash on cash return, so it's how much money do I have in the deal with how much money do I make every year? The cash on cash is exponential when you're talking about having no money in the deal. So just for a little perspective, if I'm making, because I'll make cash flow on this property once a mortgage is on it, about $300 to $400 a month. So if I'm making $400 a month times 12 months, is $4,800. If I bought that property and all in, I had $4,800 in it and I was going to make $4,800 back, that'd be 100% cash on cash return. And that's having $4,000 in there. Right now, I have $0 in this deal. None. Outside of a new mortgage. So everything that I make is free and clear cash on cash return. And so to calculate that is just, I mean, you can, and I can tell you how to do it if you really want to know, but uh, I, you know, I'm well over anything that you would expect to get on a regular deal. And so that's why this strategy is so huge. And I suggest that if you want to know more about it, there's tons of stuff on the internet, but I really wanted to give you guys a clear indication of how I did it and kind of explain a little bit more to it. And so you know, you buy that $30,000, you rehab, which was for me another 12,000. So I'm all in for 42. You rent. So you figure out what the rents are, what the market rents are going to be once you're done with repairs. 
you want to know what your ARV is, so your after repair value is going to be. And so I was shooting for uh, around 50 to 55. I was hoping for 55 because that's my break-even point. Uh, and then you want to go and refinance. And so refinancing is hitting up the bank and saying, now that I have all the repairs done, I own the property free and clear. Um, what can you give me for this property? And so they'll tell you. And there's a bunch of different ways you can go about that, but that's just the way I did it. And so uh, a little backstory about this, and this is just kind of side note, but I thought it was pretty funny. So I bought this duplex Sight unseen. I've never seen it. I still haven't seen it uh, outside of pictures from my property manager. The day I buy it, I just have like instant buyer's remorse. And I have that almost with everything that I do in my life because I'm just like anything that's a large deal. I'm like, gosh, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. Uh, what was I thinking? And it's not because it's a bad deal or I got ripped off or I'm, I'm thinking, what did I do? It's because I just really struggle with large purchases and large, not really gambles, but you know, some stressful situations where I don't know a hundred percent what the outcome is going to be. And so that was one of the things. And so um, I'm on a website called Bigger Pockets. You know, I mentioned it previously in this podcast. And if you're not on it, you need to get on it. But uh, I had a few contacts in there, so I reached out to some of the contacts on Bigger Pockets, and I said, "Hey, I just picked up this great deal." I don't think that I can do it because I just purchased a 28 unit that I was flipping at this point in time. And I said, you know, everybody's tied up and I, I just don't know if I'm going to get a move on. And, you know, and really it was just, I was really nervous about the deal. And I was just like, man, I don't know if I'm going to have time to do this and how it's going to play out. And, you know, I haven't done it before. Maybe I should just give up on it and have somebody else take over it. So send it out to, you know, three or four people everybody was like, oh, that's overpriced. Um, I can't do anything with that. There's not enough equity there. And to me, on paper, all the numbers made sense. And so I was like, man, I, I just don't know. Maybe I'm even worse off than I thought I was. Uh, and so, you know, after like trying to sell it to three or four investors and everybody saying, you know, oh, I just don't know. I don't think so. I was like, you know what? Let's just go ahead and do it. Like worst case scenario, I won't get the ARV that I expected to, and I'll have a couple thousand dollars left in the deal, and I'll still cash flow like crazy, and it'll be cheaper than when I purchased it. Um, so we went ahead and went all the way through the deal, and then lo and behold, pulled all my money back out, made fifteen hundred bucks, and now I have a cash flowing property which I have zero dollars in. Um, so it's just kind of amazing how things work out, and that story was more of just uh, like if you really do the work prior to buying something, you run the numbers, you figure out what the comps are going to be, you figure out your ARV, you figure out cash flow, whether it's a buy and hold, a fix and flip, uh, a burr, whatever it may be, a wholesale deal, know your information, run it two or three times, bounce it off somebody else. If you really commit to taking the time to learn it and do it right, you're going to give yourself enough of a cushion that even if something happens, you're going to be okay. And that's kind of the point of that story is don't doubt yourself. There's going to be times that are stressful. There's going to be things that fail. You're not always going to come out ahead, but there's a strong chance that if you bought it right, you're going to be doing okay no matter what. And so just make sure to run your numbers, to know your stuff. The more you can learn about the area that you're investing in, the better off you're going to be. Uh, and, I, and that's the truth for anybody out there, seasoned investors all the way down to newbies. Uh, if you're going to invest right around you, 
know what's going on, know what they're building, know what the market rents are, know what the cost per door. If you're going to go out of state, find somebody who's knowledgeable. If it's not an area that you grew up in or area that you lived in for a while, learn from them, learn the market. You'll be all right. But thank you everybody for catching the relaunch of the What the Flip podcast. Sorry, this episode was a bit out of order. I had some notes and then I just kind of ran with it. So I do apologize for that. But catch me on the next episode where I'm going to start to bring in some guests. So I'm super excited about that. If you know of anybody or if you want to be on the podcast yourself, please reach out to me. You can find me on Legacy Investment Holdings on Facebook. You can email me at jeremy at webuildyourlegacy.com or you can contact me on Facebook or Instagram at the same name. So um, hope to hear from you guys soon. Love to hear if you want to jump on the podcast and what you've been up to and what your deals are and share that with the listeners out there. But thanks again. Sorry, it's a little all over the place, but you guys have a good one. Catch you on the next episode.